The following message was given at Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. Let's continue to worship our God by hearing from His Word. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to Galatians chapter 4. As we continue to make our way through the book of Galatians, this morning we've arrived to Galatians 4, verses 1 through 7. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. Galatians 4, beginning in verse 1, let's now hear what the Spirit has to say to us through His Holy Word. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This concludes the reading of God's word. May God now be pleased to add his blessing to the preaching of his word. We can name many distinguishable honors that are given to men in society. There are medals given to those in the military, those in the police force, There are certain recognitions and honors given to individuals for outstanding work in civil society, in the community, in sports, in the arts, in entertainment, education. And being a father or mother or grandparent is a wonderful honor and blessing according to God's word. But really the highest honor and value that anyone could ever have is something that was not achieved, but freely given. And that is being a son of God. Nothing in the universe could ever compare to having this great honor to be one of God's beloved sons. But sadly, the Galatians had forgotten that. They had forgotten that they were a son and started to act as a slave by placing themselves back under the bondage of the law. And this is not a problem that's confined to the Galatians of the first century. This is something that we ourselves are prone to and hence why God gave us the book of Galatians. We too fall into this trap where we forget that we're sons and we start to act as slaves again. Anytime we try to measure up by our own efforts to attain to a righteous status before God, to feel righteous, to feel acceptable, 
to boast in ourselves, to be critical of others and judge others who don't have their act together like we do. Anytime we, we withdraw from God when we fall into sin, that we lose confidence in drawing near to God as if it was based on our obedience to begin with, then we have fallen into this trap. Then we are acting as slaves rather than knowing and remembering that we are sons. Anytime we see God as a hard taskmaster rather than a loving father who has pity on us as his children, even when we fall into sin, then we have succumbed to a legal spirit and we are living as slaves under the law. And so what I want us to look at are three truths to always remember so that we do not fall back under this bondage of the law. That is trying to keep the law in order to have a righteous standard before status before God. Not that we shouldn't obey the law. No, we should. But the reason for obeying the law is trying to obtain a righteous status before the law. That is when we have fallen back under this bondage. So three truths to remember. First is from what we were delivered. Second is how we were delivered. And third, to what we were delivered. So first, from what were we delivered? Well, verses 1 and 2, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So this picks up from where we left off last time a couple of weeks ago. If you remember, the Apostle Paul was talking about this pedagogue, this pedagogos, to use the Greek term. That is the Old Covenant, the Law of Moses. And back then, this pedagogue was usually a slave who was commissioned to keeping and guarding a child until he was ready to receive the inheritance as determined by his father. And what Paul is saying, if you remember, is that the Old Covenant was like this pedagogue. And Paul now goes on to expand on that here by saying that the son, who's an heir, is actually treated as a slave until he receives this inheritance, while he's still a child, while he is still under this pedagogue. And Paul is using that as an, as an analogy to say this is the way it was for us under the law. Verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. So Paul is referring to Israel under the Old Covenant, being treated as children, still children, still have not yet received the inheritance by God the Father, but are under pedagogues, under tutors, under the Old Covenant. The status of a child is referring to the whole people of God collectively and not just the individual. And hence why Paul could say to the Galatians, when we were under this, in this period before Christ, before faith coming, as we saw in the last passage in Galatians, well, the last passage I preached in Galatians, 
Tim preached Galatians last week as well. Fixed everything that I, I missed. He'll be preaching this passage next week. Because it's still early on in redemptive history and the knowledge of redemption is not yet mature. The people of God did not yet have full access to God under the Old Covenant. They had to keep their distance. God was in the the temple, but not in His people as the temple. They still needed to keep their distance. They had to go through priests. They had to go through blood sacrifices. They had to go through these rituals. They had to keep cleanliness laws in order to approach God. These are like rules, laws for immature children to keep them in line, to keep them safe so that they don't wander into the presence of God. We have those plastic covers on the wall outlets right now because we have a one-year-old at home. And it's until he gets, we're going to have them on there until he gets older. And some of you have, when your kids were young, you had those baby gates at the top of the stairs so they didn't come tumbling down. And you kept them there until they were mature enough. Well, in a similar sense, this is the way it is. These laws were put in place until Christ would come, until we, the people of God, would receive our full inheritance. But what God was illustrating under the Old Covenant was that in order to receive your inheritance, the law had to be fulfilled. Do this and live. Keep the law perfectly, perpetually, perfectly in order to obtain the inheritance. There's a works principle here. The works principle is you need to do the law if you want to get the inheritance from God. And of course, this pointed to our need for Christ to come do it because we couldn't do it. And that was the point of the Old Covenant. The way Paul put it is that we, including these Gentile believers, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. The elementary principles of the world. Now this has been a very difficult phrase to understand and interpret, and that's why there's very views on this. Uh, Some of your translations say elementary spirits rather than principles. Uh, The word principle or spirit isn't there in in the Greek. It's just one word. And so the English translators supply either principle or or spirits. Now, there are two components to consider with this phrase in order to understand it. And what this phrase refers to, and I'm going to go on and explain this, is it refers to being under a works principle. That's what it refers to. Works principle in the sense of you need to do this and live. You need to do this in order to get the inheritance. You need to do the law to get a righteous status before God in order to be blessed and avoid the curse. And there's two components to consider to arrive at this conclusion. Uh, The first is the, the Greek word, that the ESV translates as elementary. Uh, Some of your translations say elemental. Some say elements. Well, the word elementary refers to the first stages of something. It's based on the concept of the four basic elements of the world, of the earth, uh, earth, air, fire, and water. And so that's where the word elementary comes from. 
just as these elements are the very basics of the earth, so elementary refers to studying the very basics of something, the first stages of something. And this is how this word is used in Hebrews 5.12, where it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles, that's the word there, of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. So the same Greek word for elementary from Hebrews 5.12, basic principles, is what Paul is using here in Galatians 4.3 to refer to basic principles, not of the oracles of God, but, but of the world, as he says here. And in the context, he's referring to the Old Covenant. He's referring to the law of Moses. And if we keep reading, we see that's the case. See in verses 9b through 10, he says, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. So here Paul uses the same word, elementary principles of the world, except he adds the adjectives weak and worthless to it. It's referring to the same essential thing. He's just adding some descriptors to it. But as you see, he associates that with observing days and months and seasons. And based on the context of the letter, it's referring to these Jewish Old Covenant laws. These ceremonial observances. This is what Paul has in mind when he's referring to the elementary principles of these things he he has coming under the law in mind this this work principle of you need to do this if you want to have a righteous standing before god this is also what he has in mind when he uses the phrase in colossians 2 if with christ you died to the elemental principles of the world why as if you as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things all destined to perish as they are used. So the context here in Colossians 2 is, is also Jewish, but it also seems to be a mixture of some, some pagan practices. But it's all legal in nature. It's keeping rules in order to be righteous. That's the basic understanding or meaning of elementary principles of the world. Now, when Paul takes it and applies it to redemptive history, as Paul does here in Galatians, he's referring to this first initial stage of redemptive history before the coming of faith, before the coming of Christ, before this works principle was fulfilled. And so God's people are under it. God's people are under it, not because they can actually accomplish it, but because it needs to be accomplished and it's, a, and it's pointing them to their need of Christ to fulfill it. So it's this before Christ's coming. Paul's saying, why would you go backwards to that? But there's another component to this. It's not just the elemental principles, but the elemental principles of the world. Elemental principles of the world. So Paul doesn't just tie these legal requirements to being under the law that the Jews in the Mosaic Covenant were under. He also ties it to the world and says that the Galatians were under it as well. 
the Gentile Galatians. So what is the connection? Well, the connection is that covenant that God made with Adam in the garden. That covenant that God made with Adam, if you remember, was a covenant of works. It's where Adam had to obey in order to obtain the inheritance of eternal life, which he had the ability to do prior to falling into sin. After he fell into sin, he couldn't do it anymore. This was symbolized in the tree of life. And he had to obtain this inheritance by doing this works principle, by being perfectly righteous even under a test. Hence why Satan entered into the garden to tempt him. So this works principle, this being under the law to obtain a righteous standard before God goes all the way back to the garden. And this makes sense because think about what every false religion teaches today. You have to do something in order to obtain some inheritance, in order to avoid being cursed, in order to be blessed. It's just this basic principle is just ingrained in man. It goes all the way back to the covenant of works with Adam. And that's why it takes grace to believe this. It takes grace to believe that God would give us something freely. It takes grace to believe the gospel. That Christ has fulfilled this for us. And so this is why this is what Paul means by these elemental principles of the world. It goes all the way back to Adam in the garden. And then God put Israel under this. He put Israel under this covenant of works, not because he thought that they could actually do it, but in order to show all of us, in order to show all of humanity our great plight, that we are fallen in Adam, that in order for God to grant this inheritance of eternal life, the law needs to be fulfilled, but you can't do it. I can't do it. But then it helps us to understand what Christ came and what Christ did in order to obtain this for us. And so, to go back under this, to go back under this works principle, is to act as if Christ never came. It's to go back to before Christ. But Christ has accomplished this for us. And this brings us to the second truth, to always remember, in order to not fall back under the bondage of the law. So we were delivered from this, being under the under this works principle. How were we delivered from this? Well, second, Christ delivered us from this. Verses 4 through 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. So how do we go from children? as Paul says, treated as slaves to adopted sons receiving an inheritance. Well, just as the earthly father appointed a time for his son to receive the inheritance, so God the Father appointed a time for us to receive this inheritance as adopted sons. And it's when He sent His eternal Son, His only begotten Son, one in being with Him into the world, who was born of a woman. He became a true man in every sense except for sin. And He was born under the law. He was born 
under the elementary principles of the world. He was born under this works principle. It was placed on him to do so that he would do it for us. And this included, of course, the ceremonial laws of the Old Covenant. Hence, his parents presented him in the temple in order to purify him according to the purification laws of Moses. But Christ fulfilled all righteousness. He obeyed all that was written in the law perfectly and did it for us. And this includes coming under the penalty of the law, standing in the sinner's place condemned as the lawbreaker. And then we get credit for what he did as the law fulfiller so that we would stand in his presence so that we would be forgiven and stand before him as righteous. And his resurrection from the dead is proof that he fulfilled God's law to God's satisfaction because he lives. He received life from the dead. Everlasting life, no longer under the curse of death. And brothers and sisters, this is why we are not under the law as a covenant of works. This is why we are not under this works principle of the law of it's up to you to do this if you want to stand before God righteous. If you want to have a righteous status, you need to do these things. And you need extra laws and you need ceremonial laws. That misses the point. Dear believer, do you feel a heavy weight in trying to keep the law? Do you feel a heavy weight in needing to be righteous, to have a righteous standing before God? Do you feel anxious because judgment day is coming and you've read It's appointed for a man to die once, and then after that comes judgment. And in light of that, do you feel this pressure of trying to measure up so that you can stand on judgment day? Do you feel anxious all the time for some reason, as if you have a big test coming up and hoping that you've done enough to pass it on that day, that judgment day that's unavoidable? That's what it means to live under the law. Now, recently, I stressed out my students in the homeschool co-op by giving them a final exam. Now, I thought it was easy. I think I took it too easy on them. They were stressed out. They They were missing activities, studying, really stressed out. I might have enjoyed that a little bit too much. But they were feeling anxious because they had this exam coming up. This pressure to perform, to do well enough to pass. And indeed, it was a covenant of works. Do this and pass. But believer, is this the way you feel? Judgment day is coming. Will I be able to stand before God? Will I have done enough to pass? And does that bring a great level of anxiety and pressure to you? 
In fact, this actually may be why a lot of people experience anxiety, though they don't know why they do. There's a lot of people that experience anxiety and they don't know exactly what the connection is. Well, we're made in the image of God. God has put eternity on our hearts. And we know that judgment day is coming. And if we live under the law, it's going to feel like a big test is coming. And have I done enough to make it? Have I done enough to stand before God? But brothers and sisters, do you realize that Christ has taken your place in judgment for you? Christ was born under the law for you. So that the burden, the responsibility of measuring up to the righteous requirements of the law were placed on Him. And He did it for you. The pressure of having to pass the test with the perfect score. Christ accomplished for you. And through faith, you get credit for His perfect score. He took the test and has already passed. And you get His score as a free gift. And then he gets your score. Failing grade. And stands in your place condemned. So that you may be forgiven. And the burden of dealing with our guilt was placed on Christ. Who took care of all our guilt by being punished in full for us. Do you feel the burden after you've fallen into sin? That... I need to deal with this somehow. I'm guilty. I need to make up for it. I'll read my Bible more. I'll spend some more time in prayer to make up for this. I'll withhold comforts for myself. I, I, I will fast in order to make up for my sin. I will take the responsibility for having fallen into sin. I need to figure out a way to do better so that I will be accepted before God so that I can regain my righteous status before God. I can't go to Him in prayer right now because I've sinned. He doesn't want to hear from me. I'll wait until I've had a better period of my own obedience and then based on my own obedience, then I'll have confidence to come before Him again. All of that is what it's like to be under the law. Or, I'm going to have a pity party, self-pity, wallowing in my shame, withdrawing, because in my pride, I am deciding to carry my own shame rather than trusting Christ to take it in full. Or, because I need to reestablish my righteous status or maintain it, give me the five principles to help me do a better job. So that I can know how to be righteous before God. But believer, Christ has already dealt with all your guilt under the law. Christ already faced the judgment you deserved while on the cross. Bearing all your shame. Bearing all your guilt. Bearing the wrath of God so that there's none left for you. When you look at the cross... You are looking at your final judgment. Where God is settling accounts. Your account has already been settled. It was settled at the cross. 
No more is required. It's satisfied once and for all. And you are forever forgiven and righteous in God's sight. That's not going to change based upon how well you're doing as a Christian. And so judgment day for believers will be a day of vindication. A day of an open declaration in the presence of all that we are righteous and accepted by Him and enter into His eternal kingdom. It is not because we ourselves were righteous enough to pass the test of His judgment, but because Christ was perfectly righteous for us. He came under the law for us and He fulfilled it for us so that burden is no longer on us. And Paul says that Christ was under the law in order to redeem us from being under the law. Redemption in the first century was in the context of slavery. One of the reasons people would enter into slavery during that time was in order to pay off a debt that they could not pay. And so they would work their way to pay off that debt. Well, someone could redeem them. And what that meant was someone would pay off their debt. Somebody would come and pay for them to be released. They would be released from slavery, released from the burden of having to pay a debt through works, through this payment that somebody outside of them would give. And this is what Christ has done for us. He made that payment in order for us to be released from our slavery to sin, slavery to the law, slavery to works, righteousness, to pay our debts off, something that we can never do. He did this by taking our place under the law as a slave. Philippians 2 says Christ became a slave. Christ said, I will be the slave instead of them. I will come under the law instead of them. I will pay off their debts instead of them. I will fulfill the law in their stead. So that we are released from being under the law. So that we are released from the curse of the law. Because Christ became a curse for us. So that we would receive the eternal inheritance as a free gift paid for in full by Christ. And this brings us to the third and final truth to always remember so that we do not fall back under the bondage of the law. First, we saw from what we were delivered. We were delivered from this works principle. Second, we saw how we were delivered. We were delivered by Christ coming under the law and fulfilling it for us. Third, to what we were delivered. Verses 6 and 7. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So because we are no longer slaves, having been redeemed by Christ, we are adopted sons. And the son receives the inheritance. And we all who believe, whether Jew or Gentile, Male or female are sons of God and therefore we are heirs. We get the inheritance. And this inheritance is God Himself dwelling in His presence. 
where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. The God for whom we were made, that is our inheritance. That is our portion. That is what eternal life is about. And we get the down payment now in the Holy Spirit, in having God Himself, His presence with us, dwelling within us. That is what the Holy Spirit is, the Spirit of His Son. God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts because we are heirs. And it is by the Spirit that we cry, Abba, Father. Abba comes from a Hebrew word for father. It's a term of endearment. It's a term of closeness. And it's not just mouthing the words. Rather, it's a conviction of our heart that He is our Father. That He loves us. That He is with us and for us. That He is no longer this impersonal judge or distant despot who is judging us by our works and is angry with us. But rather, the Father who loves us, who pities us, who has compassion on us. This is what the Spirit convinces our hearts of. If you remember the fall into sin, this is the way that God began to be viewed as a hard taskmaster. Remember when Satan comes into the garden and he puts a dark face on God. And he says, indeed, did God say you shall not eat from every tree in the garden? Of course, God didn't say that. Uh, they weren't allowed to eat from every tree. But God said, you are free to eat from every tree. Look how generous I am. Look how gracious I am. Look how kind I am. And Satan comes and puts a dark face on God and says, You shall not. He's not with you. He's restrictive. He's unloving. He's unkind. And ever since then, man has, knew, has known God to be a hard man. Remember that wicked servant in the parable of the talents? A one servant who didn't serve God, didn't serve his master, he said, I knew you to be a hard man, therefore I was afraid. He gives a reason why he didn't serve God, why he didn't say, who in the parable is, is God, why he didn't serve his master. It's because he knew him to be a hard man and lived in fear. That is the way fallen man views God. But when the Spirit comes into our hearts, then we view God as our Father who loves us. But this is something we need to be constantly reminded of. As evidenced by the Galatians falling back under the law, the, the great Puritan John Owen said, Christians walk oftentimes with exceedingly troubled hearts concerning the thoughts of the Father towards them. They may be well persuaded of the Lord Jesus and His goodwill, but the difficulty lies in what is their acceptance with the Father. What is His heart towards them? Many dark and disturbing thoughts are apt to arise here. 
few can carry up their hearts and minds so as to rest their souls in the love of the Father. They live below it in the troublesome regions of fear, storms and clouds. But this is the will of God, that He may always be viewed as kind, tender, loving, and unchangeable towards us. But isn't our default view of God that He's a hard man? He's angry at us, that we just haven't done enough to please Him yet, that we need to withdraw from Him, that we need to get our act together or keep our act together so that He will continue to love us? But what does this result in? Does this result in drawing nearer to God in sweet fellowship and communion with Him? Or does this cause us to withdraw from God until we've gotten our act together? And only have confidence to draw near to Him so long as we are living righteously. This causes a fear of slavery leading to a self-righteous spirit. But as John Owen goes on to say, so as long as the Father is looked upon as not acting in love to us, it breathes in the soul dread and withdrawal from God. But when He who is the Father is considered as a Father. Acting love on the soul. This raises our souls to love Him, leading to obedience. So brothers and sisters, God has not given us a spirit leading us again to a bondage of fear, but He has given us the spirit of sonship by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And so may this be our constant meditation and remembrance. May we remember our identity. We are no longer slaves, but we who believe are God's dearly loved and cherished sons. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, How often we do not think this way. We have hard thoughts about You. It's hard for us to believe that You love us, especially when we fall into sin, that Your response to us is to pity us, is to help us. Yes, You do bring discipline to us, but not as someone who is angry with us or punishing us, but as someone who loves us as any loving father would to correct us. So help us to see You rightly. Help us to see that we are sons and no longer slaves, leading us not to a bondage of fear under our works principle to keep the law in order to be righteous, but rather a spirit of gratitude and freedom leading us to keep the law out of gratitude for what you have done for us. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You have been listening to a message from Trinity Bible Church in Powell, Wyoming. To receive more information about Trinity Bible Church or to support the ministry, go to tbcwyoming.com. That is tbcwyoming.com.